0: Hi, Melissa Dealey, and I want to let you know about my free workshop called Stress, The Silent Killer. This workshop is designed to let you know how stress is impacting your health, the health of your internal organs today, and what that does to your health outcomes. We don't know what we don't know, right? And stress is the reason for 95% of doctor's visits and 60% of all illnesses. When you know what stress is doing to your health, you're more motivated to actually start to change some habits that you might have. And I will be sharing with you some habits that you can start implementing immediately that will start to lower the stress on your body and improve the health of your internal organs, and health outcomes. So I'd love to have you join me at this workshop. Click the show notes, the link in the show notes below, or go to my website, yourguidedhealthjourney.com. Click on programs and then workshops in order to register. Imagine getting up every day full of energy as if you were in your 20s again. What would that be like? what would that be worth to you? What is your health worth to you? Think about it. Your health isn't everything, but without it, everything else is nothing. And yet too many of us are taking it for granted until something goes wrong. No one wakes up hoping to be diagnosed with a disease or chronic illness, and yet we've never been taught how to be proactive in our health through our school system or public health. As a registered health coach and integrative health practitioner, I believe it is time this information is made available to everyone. Combining new knowledge around your health and the ability to do my functional medicine lab tests in the comfort of your own home will allow you to optimize your health for today and all your tomorrows. Don't wait for your wake-up call. Welcome back to the "Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call" podcast. I am your host Melissa Dealey, and excited to bring you another wonderful guest today. Today, I have with me Trisha Perito, a wonderful colleague and friend of mine. Welcome, Trisha.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here.
0: I'm excited to uh, do this podcast with you as well, and to introduce you to the audience. Trisha Perito is a recovery lifestyle enthusiast speaker, and published writer. She is a nationally certified life coach, an international master addictions specialist, and a professional life interventionist with a psych degree in process, behavioral, and chemical addiction, who loves to help changing lives. Specializing in life transitions and post-treatment journeys, Perito is ever committed to serving her clients worldwide Find the emotional intelligence they need to conquer their life challenges. And as you can see, I'm reading your bio there that refers to you by last name, which I never do. You're a Trisha to me. So I know. What I love about you so, so much is that you truly walk your talk and you have been there. And mm-hmm. you have found your way out of the mess that I would love for you to share your story because it's incredibly inspiring and it helps others know that they can do it too. Right.
1: You know? Yeah. Cause I totally, seriously, I'm telling everybody here, if I can do it, you can do it because I mean, my journey started at the age, age of four and it was very split. So half of it was super awesome and amazing, right? This, this, This young child who's reading, writing, doing arithmetic, playing chess, playing classical piano, competitively swimming at six and a half years old, right? Like just great things. And, and, but on the other half also was a four-year-old who already felt that they, they had to keep things secret, that they had to hide things, shove their thoughts and opinions and feelings and emotions down and shove them down. Because at the age of four, I experienced my first sexual assault. Um, I also experienced or witnessed my dad being struck by lightning so trauma for me started at a very young age and 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 then in that was you know how I was receiving my environment and I was receiving my environment in a very skewed way even at that young age and and, and I think a lot of it's because I, I am very intuitive didn't know that of course then but you know fast forward through a lot of years of, of, you know, just regular sibling teasing, but internalizing it in a way that actually is in a, it became an alignment to what was reality. And that to, to shed a little light there, cause I know I'm speaking a little ambiguous, but you know, my, my siblings would tease me that, you know that I belonged down the street to the neighbor because I didn't look like them or that I, I was, I was the milkman's baby or, you know, something along those lines because I did look very different. Um, and and my, my, you know, my my skin color was very dark. And, and, you know, I just, I just looked different. I was different. And, and, you know, at a certain point in my life, when I, when I got pregnant with my son, I found out that, well, they were right all along. And there was a reason why I never truly felt like I felt fit in. And that's because I did have a different father. And, and, but we were all raised in the same household. So anyway, so that's like early childhood for me. But, you know, when I was 12, so we're getting into that adolescent space, you know, my dad was killed in a, in a tragic accident. And and so we go back to that modeling of what was being presented to me. So, you know, there was the shoving down, hiding, put on the pretty face, don't tell anybody anything negative or bad. Always show the good, but then when my dad was killed, it's like, how are these people still holding this up? Like, how are they smiling? Like, I was going, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. So I'm looking around the room, and being the intuitive I was, they were all drinking and smoking. So what did I do? I, I, I got my cousin, picked up a six pack and a pack of cigarettes, and 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 there you, there you go. Right? It worked for me, and and so it became my go to just like the popsicles or the, the lollipops you get when you fall down and scrape your knee or have to get a shot at the doctor or whatever, the beer became that, that, that thing I relied on in times of discomfort. You feel better. Right. Right. And then you put, you, you put your, you put yourself into, you know, this, this adolescent space and, and I experienced, you know, um, additional sexual assault I was actually raped when I was just about 13 years old. And, and then I was stalked by by that person. And, and then trying to fit in and, and trying to make sense of all of that, you know, alcohol became even more of a reliable um, avenue to allow me to even feel comfortable in groups of teens, you know, th- these teenage people that I was now surrounded with in various ages. And, and so anyway, you know, and all in all, I, you know, I, I moved through five sexual assaults in my life. Um, I also was in a relationship with a lot of severe domestic violence. So between four and twenty twenty three twenty four 24, no four and 25, you know, I really, I really was it really weighed heavily on my ability to be a control freak perfectionism. So anorexia was a big part of my life, um, as was drinking and, and avoiding, right. Like always, just always trying to be good enough. So there was a lot of reliance on, on praise from other people. And when it wasn't coming, like it was really devastating. Cause I got a lot of it as a child, um, small child, but that went away as I got older and I just never could get it back anyway. So I worked really hard on holding on to my, my addictions um, for, for a long time, um, and then my recovery journey. So that's about 30 year journey with, with chemical substance reliance, and, and, and with eating disorders, I was able to heal from sooner, which is usually backwards. For most people, You know the substances go away first. But you know when I met my spouse, I was able to find unconditional positive regard and allow myself to experience that but I kept the alcohol and, and, life was great. Life was wonderful. So my 25 year recovery journey was about healing those traumas and the eating disorders and, and, you know, um, lots of other things. Fast forward, I'm going to tell you guys, empty nest is a real thing. So my husband and I have, have five children and, and our girls really gave us a run for our money. So, in, in their, in, in, in our oldest daughter's high school years, she contracted leukemia. So she had AML leukemia. So there was a lot of, you know, a lot of connective and family banding together to, you know, like really get through it and get through it positively. And then the younger one, you know, she, she got sick, she got E. coli and ended up having hemolytic uremic syndrome and, and had to go on kidney dialysis. Right. So I was always on guard. And so my, again, my only release, for that emotional space. Cause mom taught me, mom raised me, you know, buck up, like pull, pull up, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and keep going. Like, don't, don't ever crumble. And so I didn't, um, but I, but I did in those quiet moments still rely very heavily on that, on that calming um, of, of the alcohol. Cause I didn't know anything else. I learned it at 12. I didn't know anything else. I was never taught effective coping skills. There was no emotion regulation or distress tolerance taught in my home, and it certainly wasn't coming at school. So when you know, when, when the kids started moving out, which most of them were gone all at once, um, the empty nest is a real thing. And, and so you cover that empty nest with having had a full hysterectomy at 29 and not being able to do hormone replacement and really just being in this odd transitional space. I developed generalized anxiety disorder. And my medical provider who knew I was a daily drinker, you know she was a good friend. she caught her she caught all, everything that was you know wrong with our, with our daughters. but anyway, she prescribed xanax, knowing I was a daily drinker for my anxiety, um, which seems harmless enough, but, but it's not, it's really dangerous. and then it was prescribed to me over the course of five years. And so slowly but surely over those five years, what happened was I formulated a physiological addiction to both and they, they are actually synergistic, right? Like they exacerbate each other. So, you know, you get to the end where I, I decided, you know, gosh, enough is enough. My body, I can feel it, my liver. I can feel my liver working at night. I can feel all four chambers of my heart beating. If this is not good. Like I don't wanna go out like my grandmother did with cirrhosis of the liver. So I checked myself in because I knew detox from alcohol, detox from, I didn't know detox from benzos was dangerous, but I sure learned that real quick, but I knew I needed to be monitored because my blood pressure was off, you know, everything else. So I went to, you know, I researched, I found a program that spoke my language and I'm gonna tell you a story of somebody that goes into detox and treatment in a way that nobody ever does, because I showed up sober um <laughs> showed up sober. I planned it. I spent two months getting to know the staff um, I, and the programs that I knew what to expect. And it was all planned out and you know, very much true Trisha's style. Right. It had to be perfect from start to finish and it had to go in the very time frame. And if anything was going to happen, I was going to overachieve, not underachieve. So I I accomplished my my seven to 10 day detox in three days. Um and those kinds of things. Um and and then I, you know. And, and, it was, and it was great. It was wonderful for, for what I needed in that space. But then I went home and the discharge plan was AA and weekly therapy. Well, where I lived at the time, cause I was also, you know, in a, in, in a whole different County where I went to treatment, but I, I went home, the AA didn't even exist in my, in my community. I would have had to go two counties or two cities over. And I, I, and I tried, I really did. But I didn't even fit in, right? It was just, it just didn't work. right? And so I found a women's group. It was just a bunch of us women, you know, talking about whatever. We all had families and kids or whatever. We all had our own issues and problems. And and that was my support group. But in that, I went to school. And so I became my first client. I literally was my first client. So when Melissa says I eat, sleep, breathe, and actually walk the walk of what I teach, even though it's been nine years I, uh, um, since I, since I've been doing this practice, um, I absolutely am still in it every day. So I went to school and I started learning, you know, everything I could about, you know, addiction. So physiological effects of drugs and alcohol in the body, right. Was class number one. And, and I, you know, got my, uh, certification to be an addiction treatment counselor, um, identified in that space that I am more suited to be a coach found an accredited, Again, I I emphasize the word accredited coaching program for for addiction um, that was very extensive and also went on to get my psych degree where I studied process, behavioral and chemical addiction. And, And so all of those three things combined I'm learning and I'm learning and I'm learning and I'm like, okay, so I'm learning all of these methods and modalities and tactics and things like that, that as practitioners, they teach us to talk about with our clients as a counselor or a therapist or a psych, right? But the cool part was because I wanted to be a coach. I got to say, we need to know, because I remember I sat in all of those rooms. I sat in, you know, in all of the meetings and the groups and the therapy and, you know, the counseling and nobody was teaching me how to implement it in my life. They were talking around it. So when I was in school and I was they were reading were telling stuff, you what
0: to do, but then not the how yeah. to. Right. They weren't even telling me, they were telling me me
1: that I you know needed to consider doing. Right. Because right. oh, okay. counseling is very, therapy, very they, gentle. They yeah, it's very gentle. It's it's well, how about this? You should, you know, let's try that or consider, you know, anyway. It it's different. They 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 educate you, but they don't tell you what you need to do. Right. So I figured out. I converted it all to a coaching model so that I could actually learn the practical application of the psychological tactics. And I did it in my life first. And then I spent a lot of time learning how to, you know, with other people, like, because I can't teach you how I did it, but I sure as heck now where I'm at can, can help you help you figure out how to add, edit, delete, change, shift, morph, make it your own for your life. And, and then we figure out together, what is that practical application going to be for you? And, and so we come out with, you know, we know ourselves anyway. So, so that was my journey. That is, that is how I ended up launching my practice, um, and, and, or creating it, should I say? Um, and that's, that's my story. Don't look back, man.
0: (laughs) keep going forward. But I saw a recent post of yours uh, on social media. And you just mentioned in that post about the moment you decided to love yourself. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about that moment.
1: Oh, wow. I'm not even sure if it was a moment. I don't even know if it was where maybe it was that phase. It was in that it was in that because, because even though I was loving myself, for the mother I was, for the wife that I was, right? I wasn't loving me. I didn't live for myself first. I lived for everybody else first and it was all seated in, you know, how much I could do for others. And I was always that one that would drop everything and go take care of it. And I was always the hero, always the hero. And so, you know, it wasn't that I, so in my in my recovery education journey, I really started to to figure out that a lot of that, that internal dialogue that was about me, right? Mm-hmm. I felt like my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my opinions, my beliefs, my needs, my wants, my dreams, my desires weren't seen as being valid or mm-hmm. holding any value. I felt very dismissed in my life, even though I was working real hard to be the, the hero all the time. Then, you know, as I, as I'm healing on my, you know, in my own recovery, you know, I'm learning that my family doesn't think that I think that I think those things about me. And so that's when I dove in even deeper, how can I restructure these things? And it became important to me as soon as I realized that it was all, it was all just about what I, how I was, how mm-hmm. I was allowing myself to experience my environment, the people in it how I was allowing myself to see and experience myself. Um, and, and I can liken this to anybody that may know what this is like, but body dysmorphia is a, you know, it, it, it's a it's a difficult thing. And I and I lived with it for a long time and and now I now I know how to navigate it. But but you know, when when you don't see yourself or don't allow yourself to see yourself in, in the way that others do or even better, the way that you want to see you and the way that you wanna see you experiencing living, then other people aren't gonna be able to receive you the way you wanna be received. And so that's when it started was when I realized that I was putting my negative beliefs that I don't know from childhood. Remember I said back in childhood, it was the way I received my my siblings, innocent siblingness, right? right. Like they, I can see them today and we're all well over our fifties, right? We're fifties, sixties. And, and they, they don't, they, they never at any time really felt like they were doing anything, you know, traumatizing to me, but they were, but that was my, on. Um, that was on me. I blamed them for so many years and it was all on me. Granted I was a child and my mom taught me how not to, you know, really, say about the, you know, the traumatizing things like afraid of the dark. I think I shared that with you earlier today, yeah. right? Definitely afraid of the dark, but I never told anybody I would just sit there frozen in my room and just sit there. Like, I don't know the whole night because I didn't want anybody to know that I had this thing wrong with me, whatever. Right. So the moment that I realized that it was on me, was the moment that changed my life when the day that I realized that I'm the one that thinks all of these things about me. Other people may as well, but, but that's on them. I can't control how other people perceive me, but I can change how I perceive myself, which is going to up my chances of being received and perceived by others closer to the light in which I wish to be seen. Did that that answer your question? (laughs) Absolutely.
0: And that is so powerful. It is so, so powerful because I've recently done podcasts. The January 2022 podcasts were all about slowing down and getting more done. But in that, we were talking about our beliefs and the 70,000 thoughts we have inside our head. And in fact, my December 2021 podcast, we're touching on this as well, because it's such an important point, right? And. When we get to that point where we realize that a lot of the dialogue that we have in our head is simply not true. It is not based in fact.
1: All right? the stories right. in our head. Exactly.
0: Based on beliefs and experiences, etc. But it doesn't mean it's true and it doesn't mean it's fact. And when we understand that, we can then realize, okay, I can rewrite them exactly as you did. And when you rewrite them, then you can show up in the world as who you want to be. And then I- others can receive you that way.
1: Yeah. And that's how that, I love that. You're talking about that the beliefs, right? I have an exercise that is just so transformational, but you know, those in, in going through my, I believe exercise is, is how I came up with my life's motto that I just adore. I adore. And, and, and that is, this is my life too. It gets to look, feel, be, however I want it to. I get to choose.
0: I love that. And,
1: and so when I have that motto, what it also has done is it's allowed me to offer it to every other being on the planet, because who would I be to think that that only applies to me? Right. And, and so this allows me to, to stay out of the stance of a judger. Mm-hmm. This allows me to stay in, in a space of, of, of a learner. Mm -hmm. And curious. Yeah. Somebody that is open to receiving, Mm -hmm. to learning, to gaining, to expanding. I absolutely
0: love that. And on this podcast, my audience has heard me say many times before to turn your judgment into curiosity. Don't judge yourself, get curious as to why you're feeling what you're feeling, whether it's emotional pain or physical pain, et cetera, because then we get to an understanding and then we can choose to do something about it. But I absolutely love your life's motto. So I want you to say it one more time because that was really <laughs> powerful. <laughs> say it one more time, nice and slow, because I bet the audience would love to hear it again too. You know, I,
1: I talk so fast.
0: And just before, My life's that, I, just before you do that, I want to link it to the fact that the theme of the March podcast is all about power within. So share your motto again please
1: this is my life too it gets to look feel be however i want to i get to choose
0: i love it and when we know that internally and we make that decision there's so much that we can then create for ourselves on that path that we want to go whether that's in building a business, whether it's in going back to school to completely change up what you're doing in life, whether that's even allowing your body to heal, right? Because even that comes back to the place of belief that you first have to believe you can heal before that's even going to happen and you get to choose. If you're enjoying my content and someone that wants to step into being proactive in your health and learning more, I would love to invite you to join my membership community. There's a link in the show notes for only $19.99 a month. You get access to all of my content. And there's a lot as well as weekly calls that you can come and get your health questions answered. It's truly priceless. I'd love to see you join the community. Check out the link in the show notes. So um, I love... All of the work that you do, and you and I, of course, work very closely together, and there's overlaps, etc. And I want you to share about um, it leads from that motto, but everyone has the power to experience living the way they desire, and that totally ties into that motto that you've just said. But just dig into that a little bit deeper because sometimes people. Feel like they're stuck and they don't have any choices. And what would you say to that?
1: Oh, I, I, well, I deal with this day in and day out, right? With with the clients because it's, you know, they generally come to me, you know, with with something they want to remove from their life, whether it's alcohol, sugar, whatever, right? And 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 so what what they have to realize, or what they get to realize at some point is that that's, that's just the surface level, that there's a reason that they have, have given it an emotional purpose. They've given it a job to do in their life and we have to figure out why. So I'm gonna piggyback on your, you gotta know your, the why. We do, we have to ask ourselves why. Why do I want to, I don't know, give up alcohol? Why do I wanna give up sugar? What, what is it? What distress is it causing me? Why do I need, why do I feel like I need to give this up? And when we have that answer, we need to ask why again, because it's never that, that surface. I, I, I'll tell a little story. I'll tell a little story. And I think this will help people because this is a good one. Us as human beings, we broad brush, right? We broad brush everything. Everything's, you know, between, I had a client who, who always felt like the black sheep of her family. She never truly felt like she fit in or was accepted or was, you know, she always felt judged and belittled, but she also took that, that same thing with her to work. She'd get in, she'd get a new job and then everything would be bubbly and she'd be super great friends with everybody in the minute. Somebody didn't like something that she had to say or her opinion, or she did made a mistake. All of a sudden, she was the black sheep there. And, and it just was broad brushed everywhere throughout her entire, mm-hmm. in all all categories of her environment. Mm-hmm. So in, in a very long session, <laughs> in a very long session, we worked it back, you know, picking away at each, at each category, at each thing. Do you know when we got to the end of it? It really only stemmed, hurt all of those feelings, all of that hurt, all of that pain, all of that not feeling accepted of being judged, all of those things really only stemmed in her relationship with her sister hmm. that immediately freed her to, to repair all other areas of her life, every other relationship, every everything like that and then only have to focus on this one person, the relationship with one person. And it healed so fast. It healed so fast. The problem is we say I'm stuck and we can't figure it out. Or we keep trying and we try something and we stay surface with it. And and then we go, that didn't work. It's like reading the self-help book and then going, I didn't get any of the results that that the book says every one of their participants has gotten or, you know, going to Tony Robbins and going, why am I not one of those top five people that are now millionaires? Cause they went to Tony Robbins, whatever, right? The thing is y- you can read it, you can listen to it, but until you <laughs> do the work, the practical application, the investigation, then you have to do the, the cultivating, then you have to do the nurturing. And then you have to do the conditioning and until you're ready to do all of the levels and layers of what it takes to truly instigate change, you're either going to be all in and all out. Think of that diet that you go on twice a year, once a year, every quarter, every summer, whatever it is, right? Y'all know who I'm talking to, right? I got to go on this diet because I got to drop, you know, 25 pounds. We go all in, we restrict our food, we exercise six days a week we get to our goal we we hang it we hang there for a couple months and then we start to get complacent we start to get right because we never intended to condition it as a new way of being we right. only did it for the surface reason of feeling like we were bikini ready which i'd love to challenge everybody to realize that we are bikini ready every day go to target they have them all year round bet <laughs> they have your size right just put it on you have to start defining things better like yep. what is it we have to know what is bikini ready. Like you better define that. It's not. I look the way I want to look in my bikini, right? But anyway,
0: yeah, exactly. It's not the same for every single person, right? No.
1: We've got to right. deep,
0: dig deeper than the words, right? And I think what you're saying here is something that I do with my clients as well as the seven layers of why,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Yeah. Is it's not just stopping. Why do you want to do this? And it's not just stopping at that first easy answer. No, it's going deeper. So if you have that what's that going to get you why do you want that and keep going and so yeah. it sounds like that's exactly the what you were doing with this client that figured out that all of the broad brush brush of you know feeling like the black sheep when she got down those seven layers well, the it, result of one person in her right. life
1: so i'll give you this last example the last example of why we are the way we are, why we get stuck in ruts or stuck not knowing how to make a change or whatever. Think about how we greet each other. Mm -hmm. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm fine. Okay, good and fine, bad, bad answers. Fine is probably the broadest answer you could ever give. <laughs> if you look up the word in the dictionary, it is the broadest thing you could ever say about yourself. You are either fine as, the, as a natural stone gem, whatever, or you're as fine as a piece of hair that's been overly bleached. That's going to break if you blow on it, right? Like literally fine is way too broad of an answer. We've got we've to know how to describe how we, how we feel in any moment. With, with a true description, we've got to quit throwing the word busy at everything. I'm busy. I challenge you to look up that word and then look up the similar words and not and not ask yourself, is, am I busy or am I involved and engaged in my life? Quit throwing busy out there like it's a badge of honor because all it does is it gets in your head psychologically, screw you up, get you frazzled and blah, blah, blah. Right? Let's find something better to say. I don't know. I'll, I'll get it. I'll get all up in a sermon. So
0: that <laughs> I absolutely agree with you. And the words that we use are so important,
1: whether mm-hmm. they're
0: the words that we're using to talk to ourselves inside our head or the words that we're putting out there into the universe, into our community, into our family and the messages that flow from there. So I also want to dive into emotional intelligence in this conversation, because that's another biggie. And it's something that I know you've said is not innate. And, you know, so often I, as I've been on this journey for the last seven years, I thought, why wasn't I taught this in school, right? And there's so many things that I wish we could be teaching our kids in school to this day and, you know, reforming our school system and it's coming, but. Emotional intelligence is another one that I would love to see taught at school, but share with us on that topic. It would
1: be lovely if emotional intelligence was taught at the school age level for the very fact that I've already stated is these things take learning, they take nurturing, they take cultivating, they take conditioning. If we don't teach our children at a young age Impulse control. Their brains aren't even equipped for it, right? But innately, they don't have it because they don't—they don't have a frontal lobe. They're still a burn in their old reptilian limbic system, right? They're very knee-jerk and reactive. So, if we aren't teaching them effective self-soothing tactics, patience—you know, things like that—then, then when are they going to learn that when they're an adult, right? Think about all the instant gratification needs we have out there in the world. Um, so. You know, we have to start with, you know, teaching everybody how to truly get to know themselves, right? I call it, you know, a whole health survey where we start to actually look at the six categories that actually create whole health and include intellect and, you know, all all the things, but teach us how to ask ourselves hard questions so that we can learn how to uncover what we need to do going forward. Next, teach us again, impulse control. Teach us a different way of being assertive because I'd venture to say that that assertiveness has been skewed Um, because assertiveness, you know, people think I'm assertive. I'm blunt to the point. I'm assertive. I I challenge you to look at assertiveness as, as something more of an open, honest, genuine, transparent, and authentic way of being. And, and when I, so the words transparent mean I'm I'm transparent always in in all things that I do and I'm genuine, I'm authentic and I'm not there trying to pretend to be somebody I'm not right. So if we're talking about our kids, if we're teaching them true assertiveness and we're teaching them to be open, honest, genuine, transparent, authentic, right. If we're Mm -hmm. teaching them those things, they won't be like me and sweeping things under the rug. Right. Right. They won't it be down. trying to put on the perfect face or mm-hmm. fit in with the, in, in all these little clicks. I mean, we'll still have them, but, but we're going to have a better chance. Then we need to have, hmm, the, then we need to have distress tolerance again, distress tolerance. And there are so many things that fall under that. If they can't take bullying without getting distressed and ending up committing suicide, right? Kids are doing that today. Mm-hmm. We need to get mm-hmm. on board
0: hmm this is real
1: they are shooting each other we need to get on board absolutely We don't have distress tolerance clearly at least when I was a kid we used to just hit each other with our fists right like right. there wasn't knives and guns and all the things anyway <laughs> so we have to we have to teach distress tolerance and we have to know how to do it so parents get some training right like, yeah You know, Learn it yourself so you can lead by the good example. Effective self-soothing. Again, I'm going to bring that back up. Effective Mm -hmm. self-soothing. It's not all external reward. We cannot rely on needing a bath. We cannot rely on needing meditation. We cannot rely on downward dog because when we're driving our car, what are we left with? Our head. We got to learn how to do it in here and have the tools in here ready at any given moment. And that's going to also foster us to have the ability of emotional intelligence. Or I'm sorry, emotion regulation, which rounds out us having emotional intelligence and learning how to, you know, live our lives. Because in that, oh, I've missed one, my favorite, your locus of control. Quit being so externally derailed. Mm-hmm. Be internally driven, be internally minded. Again, mm-hmm. that goes with that assertiveness, right? Mm-hmm. And and take take ownership of how you want to experience living. This is your life. Yeah. And then then you can say this is how I want to experience my environment, and this is how I want to be received by other people. And then this is the example I'm going to lead by, but this is how we bring up our children and our grandchildren so that they they don't have they don't have to, you know, I mean, we're just talking about mental health finally. You know, right. I'm in my 50s. So
0: <laughs> well, I love I absolutely love all of that, you know. I you hear over, well, I hear over and over again that happiness comes from the inside, right? Not relying on those external sources for happiness. When I have this, I'll be happy. Or when I have that, I'll be happy. And we know that isn't true. I mean, thats I can't remember the number. It's staggeringly high. I think it's something like 75% of people who go and have um, a plastic surgery done. And then they get to have their face look exactly the way they want it to look. And then they're still not happy. Right? No. Almost not as that happiness comes from inside. And for too many years, we've also been taught, like you were taught, squash the emotion, squash the emotion, squash the emotion. So this conversation around emotional intelligence is so, so important now. And I, I love that. That's such a big piece of the work that you do because so many of us are getting to adulthood and we've never learned this. And we haven't been able to process our emotions. And we have been relying on external sources to make us happy. And that's where the addictions are coming in. So your work is so needed, uh, particularly now, particularly now, because the last two years have been hard on everyone in the world. Right. And so the rate of addictions has absolutely increased whether it be drinking or shopping or smoking or whatever it is right sugar etc so (laughs) so um I want to ask you before we dive into how people can reach you one of the questions that I ask all of my guests what does don't wait for your wake-up call mean to you
1: oh learn how to hear what your body is telling you because it's telling you what you need to know that it needs to, yeah, needs to have like, literally if I would have started listening to my body a whole lot sooner and I, this would be a whole new podcast, right? Like there's a whole (laughs) different episode, but if I had started to listen to my physical body sooner, I would have, I would have healed a lot sooner. Right. And I love that because
0: it's so in alignment with my work of teaching <laughs> the exact same thing. How do we get along
1: so well? Exactly. How we work so well together?
0: <clears throat> exactly. Um, and you and I have just recently worked to- together and continue to work together. And you've had some great results from e- experiencing my detox program.
1: Oh, I-, I tried to do my follow-up one a whole month early because I loved it so much. <laughs> I'm glad I asked you first. Cause I still have a whole month to go. I got to wait for April. I was ready. I was ready to go at the end of February.
0: <laughs> we don't want to do that too much. Cause then it's hard on the body, but mm. I love how you were willing to step into it. You're still listening to your body every single day. You knew something was up with digestion, even though you have that nutritional background, it's not the main focus of the work that you do today. And so you decided, Hey, you know, I want some help with my gut. Let's do this detox and see what happens. So
1: I think that the important thing there to hear, because I I love that you just said this, and I know we're almost out of time, but all of, all of us practitioners that are listening to this message right now, right, I, there, there's something really important in this because we are not all the master of all. And, and so eating healthy and being, you know, a nutrition coach for people in recovery, you know, didn't make me a master at, at everything that comes with nutrition. I had a very healthy diet but but it was still not 100% serving me because I still had things that were in the way and I wouldn't I couldn't figure it out and I just kept you know taking foods away but anyway so we all need a coach in certain areas when we whenever we get stuck in something when we get stuck somewhere and i don't it doesn't matter who you are or how educated you are you can have uh, my mentor and i talk about it all the time we, you know we could have a gazillion years of experience but there's always something more for us to learn and there are other people that know more about something than we do.
0: And also when we're in it, <clears throat> it's hard to see for ourselves what is going on, right? right. And when you have someone coming in from the outside, they have more clarity of vision. And so, you know, I still work with a naturopath even though I can run the very same labs and I run them for myself and I read them for myself and I read all my labs for my clients. I still share my labs with my naturopath and book a session with her to get her feedback because she's coming from the outside. And when you're looking at yourself, what have you missed, right? So I love that you know that, that you step into that and embrace that. So uh, tell the audience how they can get hold of you. And also I know that you are offering a very generous gift for the audience. So please share that as well.
1: That can always be found on my website, which is turning leaves l-e-a-v-e-s recovery.com and you'll also be able to find me if you just click on the link for the for the for the gift but there's a race for that one because there's only there's only three available so you have to hurry up but um, or you can call me send me a text message at 805-710-2513 push pause rewind play it again write it down whatever you need to do Um, I'm, I'm very much an open book that's how you find me the free gift that I'm offering is is five days of my time um, it's it's my one of my favorite ways to actually get to know somebody. Um, develop rapport um, and and also help them get on a on to figure out what it is they even need to do, whether it's work with me or somebody else um, and it's called my life, called life intervention. So this is, again, we will spend an hour and a half face-to-face time. We'll figure out how, but we will be doing a lot of uh, communicating over the course of a five-day period. Um, and um, so there's a lot that goes into it. There'll be a lot of surveys, questionnaires, conversations, and and time to meet one-on-one, but we're, we'll definitely figure out some, some focal points for you. Anyway, I, I, the link's going to be in the...
0: In the show notes. Yeah. And I'll put all your contact information in the show notes as well. And I just want to let the audience know that your life intervention program is valued at $350. And that is some powerful work that you are going to be guiding people through. So if there's anybody listening, that if you know that you're in the mess, if you are trying to, uh, or you're ready to start figuring that out with some assistance of a healer and expert like Trisha, jump on that because there's only three available. So the first three,
1: if, you, if you're listening to this yes. in six months and, and, and there isn't a free one left, you can still have it though. Yes. Just just, just reach out.
0: But three for free right now to yeah. the first three who sign up to work with Trisha. So thank you so much for offering that. I really appreciate it. And it's been wonderful having you on the show. And I would love for you to leave with the uh, question that I ask every time what is one tip you can give the audience to inspire them to take action in their own health journey today
1: i'm going to say sit down and look at the different categories of your life and look at look at where you think you're stuck or where you think you're having an issue and break it down what's it costing you what's it benefiting you do do a cost versus benefit analysis, pros versus cons, you know, pros and cons, and, and actually get in there and do those whys. Do the seven layers of why that, that Melissa was talking about. Ask yourself why, what is it, and how can I, how can I see myself moving past this? And if you can't answer the how, reach out and find somebody that can help you find out, figure it out.
0: And Trisha's the a great, great place to start. So thank you again for having, for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time. This is such an important conversation and thank you for your bravery in your own journey. And then now for being willing to pay it forward and share that with the rest of the world. You. And to my audience, thanks for joining me once again. And I look forward to having you come back next time.